How did a 15-year-old Swedish teenager become a climate icon, leading discussion worldwide on climate change? How did she go from giving schoolroom presentations to giving awe-inspiring speeches at rallies, Glastonbury and even the UN? And how did she swap university applications for a 2019 Nobel Peace Prize nomination? This is the story of how Greta Thunberg captured the world's attention. I'll detail the communication strategies she used and the behavioural science principles she benefited from to turn her into the world's leading climate activist. You'll learn why so many are captivated by her views, why her message stood out compared to others, and why she might get less influential in the years to come. Keep listening to learn all of this and how, if you want, you can apply her tactics to your own messaging, your own organisation, your own activism and your own work. But first, here's another podcast I'd recommend. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. In July 2018, Greta Thunberg was a relatively unknown Swedish teenager studying in her local school in Stockholm. I say relatively unknown because her parents had, they had a bit of notoriety. She is the daughter of a famous opera singer and a professional actor. Her paternal grandfather was an actor and director as well. Her family basically had some notoriety and influence. But research from the Sung Kun Kwan University in South Korea, Seoul, shows that Greta Thunberg had very few Twitter followers in June 2018 and almost no growth between June and August point is she was relatively unknown to the wider world and honestly i don't think anyone could have predicted in the summer of 2018 that a swedish schoolgirl would become a climate leader and times magazine person of the year for 2019 so how did she garner all this attention how did she become so influential well she did it by doing about the only thing a school child could do to truly capture attention she did something truly distinct something that would stand out and raise awareness. She went on strike from school. Now, school strikes are very unique. It is not common to hear about a child striking from school. Now, they're not unheard of. In the UK in 1911, there was a series of mass walkouts from school children protesting about the poor conditions in their school. But in general, student strikes were a very rare occurrence, especially for, for children not in higher education. It was highly unusual and broke from the typical news headlines. We're used to adults striking, but kids, that's unusual. Something distinct and novel like this will capture our attention. This is known as the isolation effect or the von Restoff effect. There were lots of studies on this effect, but the original study, conducted way back in the 1930s, showed that distinct and novel things are 30 times more memorable. But it's not just about memorability. Being distinct actually alters our perception. Seeing a distinct thing, like a surprising headline about a school child striking from school, will not only stick in our mind, but it will influence our worldview. Take this study from Stuart Sutherland's book, Irrationality. Subjects in the study were read a list of names. Some of the names were men, some of the names were women. Um, some of the names were fictitious, and some were the names of famous people. 
all of the people were called by both their first name and their surname, so the gender of each name was obvious. Each list contained approximately half female names and half male names, and the participants in the experiment had to judge whether there were more men's names or more women's names. It's a pretty simple task, right? Read a long list of names and then try and determine if there are more men or women quickly without counting. Here's what's interesting though. When some of the men were famous with distinctive names like Winston Churchill or John Kennedy, and the women were not well known, subjects thought there were more men than women. And vice versa occurred when some of the women had famous names, whereas the men were unknown. Names of important people made more impact than those of unknown people, and the judgments were based on this factor rather than the actual frequency of men and women on the list. Those distinctive names, they changed the subject's perception. And we can assume that the same happens with a distinctive news headline about students on strike because of climate change. It'll stick in our mind, it'll alter our perception. So Greta happened upon a tactic that naturally caught the eye, and this was perfect for a news headline. She, she benefited from another psychological bias too, that's costly signalling. We've spoken about costly signalling at length before on the pod, so I won't labour the point here, but essentially it means that the greater cost you incur to share your message, the more compelling the message is. The greater the cost incurred in sharing the message, the more compelling the message will be. So for example, going on a hunger strike to highlight an issue is much more compelling and persuasive than simply posting a tweet about it because there is a much bigger cost incurred. Now Greta was obviously breaking school rules by striking, she was also going against her parents' wishes, and of course she was missing out on an education. It is not a huge cost, but it is a cost, and that's another element that made her message more persuasive. So that explains how Greta Thunberg gained her initial notoriety by doing something distinctive that incurred a cost. But this early awareness wasn't enough to turn her into a well-renowned climate activist. The South Korean study I referenced earlier on Greta's Twitter followers showed that she didn't really gain many followers in the four months after the strike. Thunberg became an influential activist through her speeches. These speeches were persuasive, compelling, and fundamentally different from a lot of the rhetoric audiences were used to hearing. Greta benefited from some natural advantages that made her speeches engaging, notably her age, but she also leveraged some other tactics that all of us can use. The first tactic was around her communication style or messaging style. See, Greta Thunberg adopts a consistent message. I don't mean she talks about the topic of climate change consistently. I mean she's obsessive about making one specific point. She makes this one point consistently. She says it time and time again, albeit in different ways, but ultimately reiterating one message. That point is that we are running out of time and that a global catastrophe caused by climate change is almost upon us. She sticks to this message and doesn't muddle it with clarifying points or disclaimers, which is unlike several politicians, scientists, and even some other activists who clarify their points or they reference alternative arguments. Greta doesn't. She sticks to one point. The reason why, Greta says at least, is partly due to her autism. She spoke about this in one of her first speeches, a speech at Parliament Square in London on October 31st, 2018. Here's what she said. I have Asperger's syndrome, and to me, almost everything is black and white. I think in many ways that we autistic are the normal ones, and the rest of the people are pretty strange. They keep saying that climate change is an existential threat, and the most important issue of all. 
and yet they just carry on like before. To her, everything is black and white. There are no grey areas. There is no need for her to add disclaimers to her points. For Greta, the solution is simple. Stop climate emissions as soon as possible. Now, this obsessive focus on one message has genuine benefits. There's a wonderful study that I've shared before on the show which highlights how memorable a single message is compared to multiple messages. The Link Database study by Millwood Brown measured recall for advertisements with a single message versus advertisements that made several different points. So, for example, Greta's single message that we need to stop climate emissions now. This is pretty different from a typical politician's message who might say, Yes, we need to slow down climate emissions, but we also need fossil fuels to help us in the meantime, and we need to consider the economy, and there are also other pressing issues affecting the country. These multi-message speeches are just far less memorable. According to Millwood Brown, simply making two points in an advertisement rather than one will make people half as likely to remember anything in the ad. That's right, the more messages you try and communicate, the lower likelihood of anyone remembering a single message you shared. So Greta's benefiting from sharing one message. And she really does stick to it. Her book, No One Is Too Small To Make A Difference, contains all of her notable speeches between August 2018 and April 2019. And in every speech, she makes that same one point, that time is running out and we need to cut emissions now. You might assume this is irrational. You might think... Shouldn't she add different points to broaden her message? Shouldn't she use her influence to raise awareness for other issues, you know, other than climate change? Well, no, at least not according to Hermann Ebbinghaus. See, Hermann Ebbinghaus was a 19th century German psychologist who is known for his pioneering work on the study of memory. One of his most significant contributions was his discovery of the so-called forgetting curve. And this describes the rate at which we forget information over time. According to Ebbinghaus's research, our ability to remember new information quickly declines in the immediate hours and days following the initial learning. This initial rapid forgetting is then followed by a much slower, much more gradual rate of forgetting over time. The takeaway is fairly clear. Everyone will forget what you've said if given enough time, and usually they will forget it quite quickly. But Ebbinghaus has a solution to this forgetfulness. It is called spaced repetition. See, spaced repetition is a learning technique that involves reviewing the information at consistent intervals over time. When you use spaced repetition to remind yourself of something, you are essentially providing your brain with additional opportunities to retrieve and reinforce the information you are trying to remember. This can help strengthen the connections in your brain that are associated with that information, making it more likely that you will be able to recall it in the future. It'll overcome the effects of the forgetting curve by providing regular reminders to the information before it has a chance to be forgotten. So this is basically why cramming the night before an exam won't work for students. To really remember all the information, you need to recall that information over regular intervals in the months, at least months, maybe days, maybe weeks, but you know, probably months leading up to an exam. So actors, that's another example. Actors will learn far more of their scripts if they reread the script every third night for a month, rather than trying to read it 10 times in one night. 
So this spaced repetition, that'll increase recall, then cramming in a lot of repetition in a short period of time. And you'll learn a language much faster if you practice for a short period of time regularly than just spending a big bulk of time, like two hours practicing, but just once a month. The sheer amount of time you spend learning won't boost memorability. To beat the forgetting curve, you need regular repetition. And that, essentially, is what Greta is benefiting from. By repeating the same point over and over again, she's not boring people. She's making that message far more memorable. Businesses, activists, politicians and others could heed this advice. To boost recall, repeat your message and don't change it. Greta has called her diagnosis of autism a blessing, and I think she's right, because it's made her points more memorable. That said, repeating a message and striking from school, that alone won't gain you 15 million Instagram followers. There were, of course, other messaging tactics that led to Greta's growth and influence, and I'll share all of them after this quick 60-second break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Now, I mentioned how Greta's age made her stand out. It is rare to see a 15-year-old giving a speech at the UN. It is odd to see a schoolgirl lead a rally outside the Houses of Parliament. This differentiation made Greta more memorable. But it also provides her with another benefit. Because Greta is a teenager, she's able to make points that adults simply can't make. She uses her young age to her advantage, saying that the solution to climate change is so obvious that even a schoolgirl knows what to do. At Davos in 2019, she's quoted in saying that the main solution to climate change is so simple that even a small child can understand it. At the UN Climate Change Conference on December 15th, she says, In the year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, then maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't act, why you didn't do anything, while there was still time to act. Again, it's another salient point that she's only really able to make because of her age. In Brussels, at the European Economic and Social Committee, she's quoted in saying, Many people are trying to make this school strikes a question of whether we are promoting truancy or whether we should go back to school and do our homework. But once you have done your homework, you realise that we need to clean up our mess and not stop until we're done. Embracing what makes her different makes Greta even more compelling. Many people in Greta's shoes might be hesitant to repeatedly talk about their age, their lack of experience or their lack of expertise, but Greta uses it to her advantage. She leans into her differentiation and uses it to make her points punchier. 
Saying the solution to climate change is so simple that a child can understand it is very compelling. It's persuasive. It makes listeners feel ashamed for their lack of action. It helps adults reflect on their own behaviours. It's a good lesson. In general, we're better off leaning into what makes us different rather than hiding it. If Greta had tried to ignore her age and made speeches that didn't reference it, she would encounter a number of arguments about how she's not old enough to understand the situation. In fact, she does experience those arguments, but because she uses this rhetoric in her speeches, she's able to defend against these attacks. By making it part of her speech, she disables that attack. And you see this with with many other very different persuasive campaigners. So Donald Trump is an example. He disabled attacks about his lack of political experience by highlighting that his naivety in politics was needed for a fresh start. Brexiters discredited the economists' analysis of how badly Britain would fare post-exit by saying, oh, people have had enough of experts, so we don't need to listen to that anymore. Those two examples, now they're not particularly inspiring, I'm sure, for many of us listening, but they do show how persuasive campaigners deal with attacks. And there is, of course, an element of this that all of us should try and follow. Say you're going for a job interview in an industry you haven't worked in before. You should highlight, rather than hide, this lack of experience. You should use it to your advantage. Say your lack of tenure will help you provide fresh ideas and perspectives that seasoned colleagues may overlook. That will make your case more compelling because it disables the attacks you might have felt. Greta easily countered her adversary's arguments by addressing her age up front. And in doing so, she was also able to benefit from another compelling messaging tactic. This tactic allowed her to attack her oppositions. See, unlike almost every other climate activist, scientist, politician or business person, Greta had a different advantage. She could pretty much blame everyone but herself. She's a child, so climate change is obviously not her fault. She hasn't made decisions that have contributed to the growing climate emissions. She hasn't decided to buy a car. She hasn't decided to take a flight. She hasn't really decided to eat a high emission diet. She's just, or at least she was, a child. She was not responsible for her decisions at the age of 15, at her age. And that's unlike every adult out there. But unlike adults, she will also feel the consequences of climate change. She will be the one who will experience the effects. Positioning herself as the victim helped make her speeches more compelling. Take this speech. It's called, You're Acting Like Spoiled, Irresponsible Children. It was delivered in 2019, and she's talking to a room of senior politicians. Here's how she ends the speech. And yet, this is exactly what you keep doing. You can't just sit around waiting for hope to come. Then you're acting like spoiled, irresponsible children. You don't seem to understand that hope is something you have to earn. And if you still say that we are wasting valuable lesson time, then let me remind you that our political leaders have wasted decades through denial and inaction. And since our time is running out, we have decided to take action. We have started to clean up your mess, and we will not stop until we are done. Thank you. Now, did you listen carefully? Because in just a couple of sentences, Greta says you or your five times. She is directly attacking the people in the room, saying you are responsible. And she can get away with it. 
she's a child. She can't be to blame, as I mentioned before. An adult wouldn't be able to say the same speech in such a compelling way. By blaming people directly, saying it's your fault, she is benefiting from an interesting psychological bias. See, studies show that using second pronouns in your copy, so you, your, you'll, using these pronouns increases engagement and feelings of involvement. This study wasn't in a political or speech context, but I still think it's relevant here. The study analysed 4,124 Facebook posts from 10 major brands. It looked at the likes and comments and shares on each of these posts. The researchers, Cruz, Leon Hart and Pizzuti, discovered that the posts received significantly more engagement when the post used second-person pronouns, saying you and your made the posts more popular. Two additional experiments backed up this finding. A Facebook post that said maximise your savings versus maximise savings made people feel 19.7% more involved with the brand and in turn boosted brand attitudes. A blog post titled Keep Your Data Safe versus Keep Data Safe improved brand attitudes by 9.2%. There is a caveat though, this effect only seems to work for people and cultures that are individualistic, so in North America and Western Europe for example, and not in collectivistic societies like for example Asia and Latin America, which may be why Greta is far less well known in those regions. Your message is more salient and compelling if you direct it towards your audience. Greta says climate change is your fault, and studies show that that is simply more effective than saying climate change is a shared problem. And it's something all of us should consider, whether we're trying to persuade someone to do something, or whether we're trying to write compelling messages, using second pronouns boost the potency of the message. Now, everything I've shared so far are tactics that Greta is uniquely positioned to exploit. She benefited from distinctiveness and costly signalling by striking from school. People will remember her points due to her consistency and clear single message, which she says is partly due to her autism and the fact that she sees everything as black and white. She leans into her differentiation to disarm any attacks about her age, and her message is more compelling because she's able to direct her anger at almost every adult, saying it's your fault, and benefiting from this use of secondary pronouns. These are sort of unique benefits, things that only Greta can benefit from because she was a 16-year-old activist. I think they explain how she became so influential. But because of this, I also predict that her messages will become less potent as she ages, Unfortunately, making the same points as a 20-year-old just won't be as compelling, and I think she'll lose that distinctive advantage. But there are still other tactics that Greta uses in her speeches that anyone of any age can apply. They are very well known, and definitely not unique to her, but they're worth sharing anyway. First up, she understands the information gap, or curiosity gap. Now, we've shared this before on the podcast, but the information gap is the idea that we pay more attention to information when part of the information is hidden from us. This is the basic psychology behind clickbait headlines and cliffhangers. We pay more attention when we don't know the full picture. Greta knows this and she uses this as a tactic, especially at the start of her speeches. Here's an example from 2019, a speech at the EU Parliament in Strasbourg. My name is Greta Thunberg, I'm 60 years old, I come from Sweden, and I want you to panic. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. She says, I want you to panic. 
It's a great line and it piques interest. The speech starts off kind of dry with her introducing herself and then she captures curiosity. People immediately react to this when hearing it. They wonder, why should we panic? Aren't we doing enough? Surely panicking won't help. But that's sort of irrelevant. The point is she's capturing attention and it's a great tool to use. Another classic psychological bias Tungberg leans on is scarcity. If you listen to Nudge before, you'll know how scarcity changes our behaviour. As soon as we know a resource is scarce or if time is running out, we suddenly pay attention and change our behaviour. Greta uses this in her speeches to make her points more salient. Here's an example. Iran year 2030, 10 years, 252 days, and 10 hours away from now, we will be in a position where we set off an irreversible chain reaction beyond the human control that will most likely lead to the end of our civilization as we know it. That is unless in that time permanent and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society have taken place, including a reduction of our CO2 emissions by at least 50%. This is a speech she gave to the UK Parliament in 2019. I apologise for the poor audio quality. If you couldn't hear it properly, then I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase it here. Essentially, Greta says that in 2030, we'll reach an inflection point where climate change will be irreversible and we'll be unable to fix the problem. To make the issue even more salient, she hypes up the scarcity, saying we have 10 years, 252 days and 10 hours to make a change. Using scarcity like this really does work. One study called The Effects of Externally Imposed Deadlines show exactly how this works. In the study, 40 male undergraduate students were told to solve a series of interesting word games. However, 20 half of the students were explicitly given a deadline, saying you must complete it within this time period. The other half, the other 20 students, they weren't given an explicit deadline, but were still told to finish it as soon as they could. The results were clear. All those with a deadline finished the task. Those without a deadline, they didn't always finish. Greta gives a deadline. We need to act by 2030. And this deadline should encourage action. But she should be wary of using this because the researchers also found that when a specific time limit was imposed, participants were less interested in the task compared to those without a deadline. So a deadline might help you finish a task, but it won't necessarily make you more interested in that task. Now, I kind of think that's besides the point for climate activists. Being interested in stopping climate emissions, that isn't important. Making tangible changes right now is what's important, and stating a deadline will definitely help with that. This improved performance as a deadline looms can be explained to some extent by the Yerkes-Dodson law. This states that a person's performance increases as their arousal increases. Making climate change seem more salient, showing how time is running out, showing that even a kid can understand it, this boosts people's arousal and encourages them to make a change. And ultimately, that's how Greta Thunberg, a teenager from Sweden, caught the world's attention. By using distinctiveness, costly signalling, scarcity and the curiosity gap to capture attention and stand out. And then leaning into her differentiation, the fact she's a child, to make her points even more compelling. I know many of you listening will need to make compelling points yourself, either at work or in your personal life. And I think following Greta's framework will help. Use a costly signal to make your point more salient. 
for example, Greta's decision to sail two months to and from America on a zero-carbon boat to make a speech at the UN Climate Action Summit, well, that made her speech more compelling. Of course it did. It took her so long to get there, so much effort to get there, that it will make your points more persuasive. You can also use scarcity to emphasise how time is of the essence. Use the information gap to pique people's interest. And disarm opponents' attacks by using them as part of your message. Follow those tips, and perhaps, like Greta, you can encourage people to make a change and you can encourage people to listen. Okay, folks, that is all for today. I really hope you enjoyed this show. I really love making these sorts of episodes. I love looking at someone who's gained notoriety and influence and and just figuring out why. I find it fascinating. I plan to make a few more like this, partly because I think there's a lot of lessons we can take away from these stories. You can apply these lessons to business, sales, marketing, and almost any activity where you have to persuade. So I think it's quite relevant to the podcast too. It is a neat way of learning about behavioral science, so I really hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you want to get in touch or let me know what you think, please do. There are heaps of ways you can do that. You can leave a review of the podcast. I love seeing the reviews. I read every single one. It warms my heart when they're nice. So please do leave a review. I would love to see what you share. You can email me. The easiest way to do that is to sign up to my newsletter. So if you go to nudgepodcast.com and then click newsletter in the headline, that's nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter in the the menu at the top. Once you do that, you'll get my personal email address and you can send me a message, a note, whatever you like. You'll also get my newsletter, which around 2000 of you seem to really enjoy. And as always, you can reach out on LinkedIn and Twitter too. I'm P underscore Agnew, that's P underscore A-G-N-E-W on Twitter and Phil Agnew on LinkedIn. Please do say hi on there. And just finally, a quick note on sources. I used Greta's book, No One Is Too Small To Make A Difference, to source a lot of the quotes that I used in the show. I also sourced a lot of the studies I shared from Airy, a brilliant newsletter, which is which is spelt A-R-I-Y-H. It's a newsletter about applying behavioral science to marketing, so check that out if you're interested. And I also used a few studies from the brilliant book, Presuasion, by Robert Cialdini. Thanks again for listening, folks. Really hope you enjoyed it today. See you next week for another episode of Nudge.